0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road in Hillsboro, North Carolina. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. choir, Get situated here for just a second. Question, how desperate are you to see God work here? How desperate are you to see God work here? Uh, The the truth is that if this church is ever going to impact the community or the city around us, and we've heard it, if it's ever going to do that, then God is going to have to, To start with us, he's got to work in us. And it may mean that God speaks to our hearts and says, this is what you need to do. It may mean that God speaks to somebody across the room and says, this is what you need to do. But it's not going to happen unless God's people are revived, unless God's people are to the point where we say, God, whatever you want to do in me, I'm open. I'm not sure a movement of God has ever taken place through people that are lukewarm. I'm not sure God's ever done a mighty work in a city through a group of people that said, eh, whatever. That's never the response that God wants to hear. It's never the response that moves his heart to work on a city and convict those that have no relationship with Christ. So say, okay, God, what do you want to do in us? And I, I would say, maybe in s- listening to that song, that maybe God wants to move us off-center or change us so that we are not fence-sitters, but we are people that are engaged in the battle for a city whose, heart, whose, whose lives are on the heart of God, but may not be on ours. We are in, um, in Mark. If you remember from last week, last week we said that God's promises are reliable. So when we look at the promises of God in His Word, we can say, God, everything that you say, everything you say and everything you promise is not only true, but can be counted on. It's foundational. And then the second part of what we talked about last week, we said that life sometimes causes us to get sideswiped. We get, we get hit, and we never see it coming. It's the idea that our, our lives uh, get derailed by threats that come our way. And in Mark chapter 4, you remember Jesus had promised in, in a way, he said, let's go to the other side, and it was an implied promise that we would get there, and then partway through the journey, Jesus is asleep in the boat, and the waves start up, and the wind starts howling, and all that, and the, and the guys that are in the boat go over to Jesus and, and yell at him. Say, would you wake up? We are perishing. There's, there's not good things that are going to happen if you stay asleep. And, and it really never records what they want him to do. They just want him awake. And he wakes up, and he hushes the, the sea, and he calms the wind. And then you have this encounter because where they were fear, they fear for their lives because of what was happening around them physically. All of a sudden, when Jesus calms the storm around them, they, they sit there, and now their attention is taken from the storm that's outside the boat to this Jesus guy that's inside the boat that they've been following, and they're trying to figure out who is this guy? What is what What is it that he can command the wind and the waves to do whatever he wants? And so their fear or their amazement, they're they're being awestruck by what takes place by the guy in the boat named Jesus. And everything calms around them. And I I really don't know what the rest of the journey looked like. We don't really have that recorded. We know they make it to the other side because that's the beginning of chapter 5. But but if if you think about it, did Jesus go back to sleep? He just kind of went up, hush, be still, where's your faith? And go lay down again and leave those guys to to just kind of sit there and go, what just happened? Have you ever been through one of those things where you you go through uh, uh, something in your life and when it's all over you go, did I really experience that? That's where these guys were. Did I really experience that? did I see what I saw what I think I saw because it, life was just kind of messed up the the last point we made last week is that faith is the correct response to God's promises even when we don't see or understand faith is the response that we need to have we need to be able to trust God there was I think truth be told there was revival in that boat they came face to face with God and it changed not only who they were but what they believed it changed the way that they would perceive the rest of their time following Jesus now it wasn't a a perfect trek from then on but I think that their lives were were transformed as they looked at it, and it kind of set the stage for everything that's going to take place going forward because they understand this guy that we're following, he can, he can deal with weather. And we, we talk about weather all the time. And you know those guys can't predict stuff. and We can pray for good weather. We can do all that kind of stuff. We say, well, yeah, I had a hand in that. No, you didn't. But Jesus can and can and did in this on this occasion. And they recognize God in their midst. And so the journey continues to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When they get to the other side, they're immediately met with somebody. And it's not it's not the welcoming committee. It's not like our greeters. When you get to church on Sunday morning, what's supposed to happen and, and I trust that it did this morning, is we've got a group of folks out there that when you walk in the door, they tell you hi. We're glad to see you. Some of them may hug you. If you're not a hugger, they may shake your hand. If you're not a handshake or a hugger, they may just go, hey man, what's going on? But that's their job. They're, they're to welcome you and say, hey, we're glad that you're in this place. And the idea behind that is we understand For a greeter, a greeter understands that when you come into this place, the expectation is that God is going to do something in your life. And so greeting is not just there so that we can have somebody out there to to make sure you're coming in dressed appropriately, or smelling appropriately, or anything like that. That's not what a greeter does. A greeter greets so that you feel the warmth of Christ when you enter the building, so that you will be receptive to what's going on in, with life with God. And so I don't want to discount what they do out there because it's great. It's wonderful. It's one of the most important jobs in any church. So if you're interested in being a greeter or an usher, we got places for you. So um, stop and ask on the way out. Um, it would be good to have you join that team. But that's not what happens here. They get to the other side of the lake and they are met with a social outlier. They're met with a guy that nobody wants to associate with. And any association with this guy is, is an association that is dangerous. That, that just kind of puts people on edge. And there have been attempts to secure him and hold him down, imprison him, and it, it just doesn't work. So I want us to, to read the story of this. In Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Would you stand as we look at this together? Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when they got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, not like our greeters. Never seen one like this out there. Okay? And and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gnashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he, Jesus, was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on a mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Because they needed a place to go if, if that demon is coming out of this guy He's got to go somewhere and They said we'll take that we'll Take the swine And Jesus gave them permission And coming out the unclean spirits Entered the swine And the herd rushed down the steep bank Into the sea about 2,000 of them And they were drowned in the sea This passage is one of my friend's Worst passages in life Because he's a pig farmer He hates this he said, and their herdsmen ran away and reported it, reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what, it, what was that happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. So they see a guy that's now contained And clothed, sitting down and seemingly okay, and they they get frightened because he's not like he was before. And they came to Jesus, observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had legion, they became frightened. And those who who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And look at the reaction in verse 17. And they began to implore him to leave their region. And he was getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. I want to go with you. And he did not let him, but Jesus said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, What what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. What an incredible picture. Jesus comes to the shore, gets met by a guy. The guy is demon-possessed, and Jesus has this encounter, and something great happens in the life of this guy. So we'll talk about that for just a moment, but let's pray first. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this encounter that seems so out of place and isolated. And Father, as we look at your word and, and think about the ideas that are in this passage, God, I pray that you would help us to, to put ourselves in different places in this, in this scene. Whether we want to associate with the, the farmers that have lost all they had, God, or if we want to associate with the disciples that are just standing around in utter amazement at what's going on. Or maybe even the demon-possessed man that seemed to be out of control and in bondage to something that was greater than something physical. And so, Father, as we look at this passage, help us to understand where we're at in this. Help us to understand about an encounter with you and what takes place in that encounter that our lives would bring you glory and that we would go and proclaim who you are God we pray in Jesus name Amen when we look at this Jesus, we have to understand, Jesus is always intentional about what he does. Now, I don't think there was a day that Jesus ever got up where he said, Hey guys, I don't know what I want to do today. Gay ideas? Hey, you, you've had days like that, right? You've at least had those moments where maybe you're sitting in the car with your spouse and, and you go, we're going out to eat, but you have no idea where you want to go. And so the conversation goes like this. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you feel like? What do you feel like eating? And you go back and forth. All the time you're riding down the road, wasting gas, and probably past the place you wanted to stop anyways. And just not having an idea. But Jesus was never like that. He didn't wake up and go, hey, guys, where do you want to go today? Or, guys, what do you want to eat today? Guys, what do you think we ought to be about? Jesus always was intentional about his mission. He he woke up, and he said, from from the time I think he woke up (coughs) to the time he went to bed, Jesus had a purpose. He knew what he wanted to do. So Jesus is intentional. And you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus made a statement, or, or it's recorded, that it said he had to go somewhere. you remember where it was? He had to go to Samaria. It's not that he couldn't go a different direction. He could have gone around, but he has to go through Samaria. And he meets a lady at a well, and they have this encounter, and something great happens in her life. God pours grace on her life, and she's changed. In Mark chapter 5, we get the, the back end of a story where Jesus says, Hey, let's go over to the other side. And we read the encounter in between where the, the guys in the boat and those around go, Oh, this is Jesus. He's big time. And we get to the other side and we realize that Jesus had intentions of going to the other side, knowing what was there. He, he didn't go saying, Hey, I have no idea who's going to show up. It's different than church on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, we come, staff, staff shows up, other people show up, the, the band shows up, the praise team shows up, the choir shows up, it's like, I wonder who's going to be there today. And there's some of you that we could say, yeah, we, we per, we're pretty sure you're going to be there. And there are others of you that kind of pop in and out, you know, got, got stuff to do, don't have stuff to do, and, you know, that, that happens. And so we show up and we go, I don't know who's going to be there today. Well, it would love to be able would go, everybody's going to be there. It's good. But Jesus, when he gets to the other side, he goes, I know exactly who's going to be there when I get there. And it's going to be this demon-possessed guy, not the welcoming committee, but this demon-possessed guy. And so he gets there. And I want you to know that God is willing to meet you where you are. He didn't ask for the demon-possessed guy to come back across the lake, say, I'm I'm hanging out over here. Why don't you come over here to meet me? Jesus goes to him. And he finds him in a place where he's in great need of God's grace, great need of God's mercy. We We often encounter God in strange circumstances. We don't expect that God shows up. I remember a story of a guy, and I don't think I've I've talked about this before. But we were in a a, a revival set of meetings, if you will. It was, essentially, it was we brought in about four or five different speakers, one each night, and and they would come in. and One of the guys now there was some pretty good names early in their in their preaching careers that, that came during that time, um, but this guy still have no reputation. But he came in, and it was really interesting because when he came in um, for that night, he had a lawnmower sitting up on the stage. I was like, I ain't going to cut the carpet, you know, I I don't know. Um, But he had a lawnmower sitting on stage, and when he came up to preach, he was wearing overalls. He said, I want to talk to you about God fixing something in our lives. And so he begins to tell this story of his life and how God had worked. He said that he was going and traveling, and if you're familiar with Atlanta, you know the road names. He was traveling down 285, headed toward 85, and you get to a place that they call Spaghetti Junction. It's that, it's that spot at, at the northeast side of Atlanta where it just looks like roads are going everywhere. And, uh, I mean, incredible bridges, and just, just really tall. And he gets to that, and it's that 5, five o'clock rush hour traffic, and he's stuck. And, and in, in all that, God had been working in his life, and he was just mad at God. He was just upset and, and, and somewhat bitter, saying, God, where are you? I don't understand what you're doing. I'm, I'm going through this in my life, and I need your help, but I don't know where you are. And he was talking about that, and he, he said, I was just frustrated, getting mad, getting mad at everybody around me. Nobody was driving right the whole bit. He said, and this church in town had put up a billboard along the interstate with a big picture of Jesus. He said, as I looked into my rear view or my side view mirror, there he was. He said, I looked over, and there was this picture of Jesus in my side view mirror. And what does it say on the mirror? The objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. And he's like, oh, man. God had met him right where he was. And we may say, well, that's coincidence. I think it's God speaking to Philip about his presence. God had showed up in his life. And the revelation about Jesus' identity is the backdrop to this encounter in Mark chapter 5 because the disciples need to understand this is God showing up in the life of this guy who had been living among the tombs and had been in chains and shackles and couldn't be bound anymore and was crying out and screaming and cutting himself all the time. And God was showing up in his life. Jesus' authority extends beyond the physical. He is authority in the spiritual. These guys need to see that. He they saw his physical authority, but they needed to see his spiritual authority. And understanding this is critical if we are going to enter into the territory of Satan in following the Great Commission. We need to understand that God shows up spiritually in us and through us when we go. You know Matthew twenty eight. You know how that works. Verse 18 is the start of that because 19 and 20 says, go and make disciples, right? It's that as you go, make disciples, talk about Jesus, share your faith, help people to understand who he is, and then help them to grow up in their relationship to God. But verse 18 is the key because it says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus understood it was in his authority that we would do anything. And that we would share Christ. So this guy in chapter 5 is a, is a demon-possessed guy. We have to understand his condition. First, he's demon-possessed. He's living among the dead in the tombs, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Is it? Is it? Is it, does it make sense that somebody spiritually dead would live among somebody who's physically dead? That's where he was hanging out. He was living among the dead in the tombs. He was living, at this point, unchained and unshackled, but only unchained and unshackled because those things couldn't hold him. He seemed to have a supernatural kind of strength that allowed him freedom from those things, even though they had tried. Yet he was living bound and helpless. When I read this, I think, "Yeah, here's a guy who can break free of physical chains and shackles, but is, but is chained and shackled to something much greater. Satan had entered his life, or a demon had entered his life, and was having all kinds of influence on him. He was controlled. Not so much in external control, not the physical chains and shackles, there was an internal control that had taken place we have that maybe a psychological or emotional thing that's in us that we say i wish i could break free of this whether whether it's something that that we just deal with in relationships or in addiction or something like that we say i just want to break free of this and i don't know if this guy was making that kind of sense because it seems like he had no sense at all. But we deal with internal things all the time. When we say, God, help me to break free from this. Help me to step away from this. It may be pornography. It may be some other addiction. It may be alcohol or drugs or something else. And we say, God, help me to break free from this. There's external control, internal control, but there's spiritual control. And allowing God to work on the spiritual nature of our life changes the other. God, help me to be restored spiritually in my relationship with you so that these things that seem to bind me on the outside and even internally, that they don't even hold me anymore. It's it's one of those things that the control completely changes. It's what we see in Acts chapter 2. When the disciples... have have that moment at Pentecost where people are looking around going, these guys are drunk. They're looking at him and and it's not making sense to those that are looking on. And this is what it says. He says, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, "These, these guys, they're full of sweet wine. But Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. Listen to this declaration. Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. God was pouring his spirit, and that Holy Spirit was living through these guys. There was a change in the spiritual direction of their lives and spiritual control of their lives. And it was going to happen in this this demoniac that's found in chapter 5. He was in a condition where he couldn't help himself, but then he has an encounter with Jesus. And the demon recognized Jesus. He says, what business, in verse 7, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. He understood Jesus had control. The disciples may have been looking on going, okay, call security. Somebody take control of this. Demon recognized Jesus as the son of the most high God in identity but he also recognized that Jesus was one with authority that Jesus had the control and their request was very simple leave me alone just leave me alone there are times in our life when we are in the middle of things whether it's that internal struggle or some physical struggle we're going through and we we understand that God may want us want to change us and work in us but because we're so comfortable in where we're at we just say God just leave me alone you've known folks struggle with a particular thing and it's like, uh, yeah, I want to, but that's too much change. So God, just leave me alone. And we push back, God. We say, God, later, maybe later. The demon asks for permission to enter the pigs, and, and Jesus gives permission. Something great happens in this guy's life. Everything changes. The herdsmen ran away after what had happened, and when they came back, they observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. Clothed and in his right mind. I think what we see in this passage is the application of grace. So not only do we see his condition, and then we have this divine encounter, but we see the application of grace. We have to understand that we need God's grace. We need God's grace to overcome the things that seem to have control of us. We need God's grace just for living life. Kyle Edelman wrote a book called grace is greater and he wrote this he said we are able to receive God's grace only to the extent we're able to recognize our need for it if you don't think you need God's grace you're in more need for God's gra- more need of God's grace than you realize our, our recognition of the need for grace ought to be greater the older and more mature we are in Christ because we realize how pitiful we are and how much we fail God. One of the things it doesn't mention in chapter 5 is how this guy came to that condition. We don't know how he got there. We just know that there was some power that exerted in his life and changed all, everything that happened in him. And then in this passage we see Jesus working. But Jesus, it changed all in one seemingly brief encounter along the seashore. Jesus brought grace into the man's life. He brought life to a man who had been dead. Jesus didn't question the guy and he notices, he didn't say, hey, how did this happen to you? How'd you get here? He didn't ask that. He didn't condemn him for some poor decision or action on his part. Maybe at some point in this guy's life, the, Satan was working on him or a demon was working on him, and this guy gave in on a very small thing. He compromised in one area of life and said, Yeah, it'll be okay. I'll just wait, God. End up ends up in this condition. I, I don't know if that happened. But I do know this, Jesus brought grace. Jesus brought grace. He brought restoration. He brought revival. And so for us, how much more do we need God's grace? The application of grace to our life is essentially replacement healing. It's taking something that is not good and not pleasing to God and saying, God, would you take that out of me and replace it with who you are. Replace it with life found in Christ. Help me to be connected to the vine, as John 15 says. Help help you and I be so connected that I get all my nourishment from you. That I get all my life that I'm sustained by you. And that my life is a reflection of who you are. Replacing hopelessness with a future. Replacing the control of Satan with the promise of his Holy Spirit. This is what grace brings to the table. We're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're changed by grace. 1 Corinthians 15:10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Paul understood that I could have all my outward things together and still be in need of God's grace. Grace also allows us to be a vessel purposed for God's use. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Ephesians 4, 7. God pours on us grace, not because we just need to sit around, but he pours on us grace so that we can navigate life. We can go through this journey called life in a way that brings glory and honor to his name. In a way that changes the kingdom of God around us because of our influence. That development as an authentic follower of Jesus Christ who impacts the world. It's where we want to be. The third application of grace for us is that we are sustained by grace. John 1, 16 and 17 says, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. It's like, let me take grace and fill your cup, and then, hey, let me see if I can take a whole other pitcher and pour it on there too. And try and shove it in. You know that that doesn't happen, it just kind of overflows. But when the fullness of God, and we are poured on with God's grace, when that happens in our life, it is grace, and then that grace gets poured on, and it just kind of spills over into everything that we do. I met a young lady at the airport this week. And it was just one of those encounters where, and one of the situations where everything was pretty quiet. It was an ice, sort of an isolated area. They'd closed down a couple of gates. Um, and there were a few people sitting around in different places. But it was one of those things where if anybody in the area was having a conversation, you could hear it. And, you know, the loudest people that, that you can hear in a situation like that is somebody who's talking on the phone to somebody else. And so I'm sitting there going, I don't want to hear this conversation. I do not want to hear this conversation. And she's having this conversation. And, and I'm starting to hear phrases that are very familiar. Um, I had a student in ministry a bunch of years ago. She's now a teacher. And I know her heart. I know how her heart beats. It beats for her students because she wants them to, them to understand the love of God the grace and mercy that's available through Christ. And she's in a public school setting. And so she doesn't walk in and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus every single day of the week. What she does is she says, I want to invest my life in your life and somewhere along the way we're going to have a conversation about God. And so I have no doubt that the students in her class and the parents in her class know where Lisa stands in her relationship to God. And so I'm I'm in this Air, airport situation, I'm over here in this conversation, and some of the phrases I'm hearing, I'm going, man, that sounds familiar. That is That is weird. I, I'm, I don't really know what to do with this. So, so, you know, you start to listen a little bit more. Talk to me afterwards if that's an issue. Um, so I'm, I'm listening, and then she walks over to the window and just kind of getting isolated. And I was like, oh, all right. That's, that's good. I don't, I don't listen anymore. And then I, then I hear this phrase. May God's grace be on your child. So I'm listening to it and I'm going, she's praying with a parent about a child that needs to understand who God is. And the parent is obviously receptive so they have this conversation. When well, it's all over, I walked up to her and said, I'm sorry, but I probably overheard more than I needed to. But this is what I'm guessing. You're a teacher, and you have this influence on this child, and you're talking to a parent, and you start talking to them about getting involved in church and understanding who God is. So Heidi, Heidi shared, she said, I'm not a teacher, but I work in schools, and I work with students. I have a heart for students, and I want them to know God and so i was I was talking to her, and she was just sharing about her passion for for students and, and she really has a passion for foster care and families and so you guys may get a call um, so she's she's sharing this and and I'm looking at it and going here's what God has done in somebody that I don't know over there and And what she's doing is an incredible ministry among students in Sacramento, California. And I was just kind of wild as I looked at grace being poured on that situation and thought about grace in the life of a former student of mine and and understanding how does God pour grace on us in here? That we could step into somebody's life and say, I want you to understand God's love and God's grace because as recipients of God's grace we have the awesome responsibility awesome privilege of sharing who Jesus is of making the trek across a lake or a sea and encountering people that may be bound in all kinds of things and don't know it and need God's love I think we are in two, place, two different places this morning. Maybe two different crowds this morning. There's a group of us, maybe in here, that are products of God's grace. We've realized our need for Christ, and at some point we say, God, I want to receive your forgiveness, I want to receive your mercy. And I want to ask you to pour grace on me so that I could have a relationship with you that would never end. Set me free from what I am bound to in sin and make me a new creature in Christ. There's some of us that are products of God's grace. And we, honestly, we need to be grateful for what God has given us. So today, if you're in that spot, during our invitation time, I want to invite you to come forward and pray and just thank God for what he's done for you. To be grateful. Not because you're better than somebody else, but because you could be in the same spot as this man who is living among the tombs. You could be in that spot where Satan has has control of your life, that you're doing things that you wish you'd never done. But God, in his mercy, poured grace on you. So come and express gratefulness and thankfulness, and then recommitting to a new life under that grace. There's another group in this room. And it may be the group, it is the group, that may still be bound in sin. That may have never received God's grace. And you know it. Nobody has to really convince you of it. On the inside, you say, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and really, I'm still bound to, to all those things that have nothing to do with the glory of God. And today may be the day that you need to accept Christ. Because sin is robbing you of true purpose and true life. Sin is robbing you of eternal life in a relationship with God. And so today, the remedy for that is saying, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. And so if you would like to do that today, I would invite you during the invitation time to come forward. And say, you know, maybe Curry and Scott and I will be down here. And there are others say, I just want to ask Jesus into my life. Tell me how to do that. And so I want us to pray. Then I want to share one more thing with you after we do. God, we thank you for your word. All of us in this room, there's no exclusion that we are in need of your mercy. God, we are in need of your grace. And Father, we thank you for the testimony of this man who met Jesus by the shore, but Jesus so changed his life that he was sitting clothed and in his right mind. And because there was such a change in him, others will be changed. God, we are products of that. We're products of somewhere down the line, somebody received the grace of God and came into our life and shared with us how to receive Jesus as our Savior. And so God, I pray that you would work during this time of invitation with those that don't know you and for those of us that do, that we would stop long enough to be thankful for what you've done for us. And then... Then make that commitment to say, God, I don't want it to be just a passing, fleeting thought of grace. But God, I want that idea of grace being poured on me, I want that to overflow. To be grace upon grace, overflow out of me so that it changes the world I live in. And so God, I pray that you would do that among us this morning. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Last thought before we stand. Would <laughs> you notice the, the reaction of the pig farmers in the town that hears what has happened? Well, they were frightened because there was some change. And so they asked Jesus to do what? To leave. He just asked them to leave. It's kind of strange, Jesus offended them, their way of life, their comfort. Verse 17 says, And they began to implore him or beg him to leave their region. There are some other passages that are pretty sad in Scripture. You think about the young man who comes to Jesus and says, What must I do? Thinks he has it all together. And Jesus says, Give up everything and come follow. And he walks away. And there are other times we read in Scripture they are just sad commentaries on people's reaction to an opportunity to meet with God. This is one of them. They began to implore him to leave their region. It wasn't just that they walked away, but they said aggressively, get out of here. Just get out of here. We don't need your kind. We don't want, want what you have to offer. Just leave. Following Jesus is an all-in encounter. Jesus was there, obviously changed the life of one man. The man said, can I follow you? And Jesus said, no, but go back to your town and report all the Lord has done for you and the mercy that God has poured on you. What has happened is a demon-possessed man was touched by grace and Jesus said, I'm going they're asking me to go, you stay because there's work to be done. You stay here. You share what God has done, and you keep sharing it. And I kind of wonder whether those in that town that asked Jesus to leave, how much they were affected by the demon-possessed man that was now clothed and in his right mind. The healed man wanted to go with Jesus. But he needed to proclaim his own testimony to those around him. It's Simple. What was then? What happened? What is now? And we can do that. What was your life like before? When did it happen? And how is it now? Jesus got into the boat, left. It was the only encounter this morning. As we encounter Jesus, how will we we react to him? How will we respond to the invitation of Christ to accept his grace? Would you stand? And as God leads you this morning, be obedient to him with all that you are. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.